speaking of which, I'm going to go see him in March, either during our spring break. Who, wait, who? Brad. Brad who? Willard. Where? At Mount uh, Vernon. Why are you on your phone? I literally, that's the how, that's, that's the start. Ready, go. I don't know where that came from. Uh, Kyler Murray, fifth year option, scrubbed all the Instagram. Don't have tons of information, but obviously I do know that there is a big deal whenever you um, make the Pro Bowl more than once. I think it's actually, uh, and this is a fun fact, I think if they do decide to pick up that fifth year option, it like they have to pay 28 point something million like on top of what he already had. Because he's a multi-time Pro Bowler? Yeah, yeah. And I could be completely wrong there and just now, read that out of context. That's like specific to his contract, right? Correct. It's, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't know if that was like an incentive or what, but... Uh, so let's remove the like Skip Bayless aspect where it's like, oh, let me tell you what he should do. Yeah. What do you... I mean, here's my... I'll just give you my perspective and then you can call me an idiot or give me yours, either one. Okay. When I look at it, really felt like they were pushing the the front office as a whole was pushing an all in kind of mindset over these next like one, two, three years. Mm -hmm. And I would say that this season, despite what some would consider pretty successful, I know they kind of flamed out in the playoffs earlier than they wanted, but what I remember hearing, seeing throughout the NFL season was not a lot of kumbaya. Yeah. And there's a ton of athletes and there's a ton of great players in that franchise, but there's something that's a little bit off, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. There's a reason he went 5-7 and seven with Pat Mahomes at quarterback in college. Really? I look Gosling doppelganger. You're, that are you referring to right now? <laughs> yeah, look, really, Cliff. It's I, I'm not saying you're a bad guy. I think you're an offensive genius to a you know a particular level. What I'm saying is that I've never seen somebody fail up that fast, mm -hmm. and at that and on that level. And I know that the front office did a lot to try and surround him with the pieces that would create a safety nest to net to make it hard for things to go south. But I don't have a lot of long-term confidence in Cliff Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury, the head mm -hmm. coach. I have much more confidence as Cliff King in Cliff Kingsbury, the offensive coordinator, play caller. Yeah, no, I mean I, I would agree with with the confidence in, in the offense i mean he's and he's right there with mcveigh and those guys as far as being a mastermind um i will say and i know you get pissed when i do this but like we obviously don't know what's going on but the biggest thing in the nfl just like it is with the quarterback is like what system do you go to and like with the quarterback you know for example if it's rg3 or whatever like if you go into a system where it's like dang like they're going to do what they do, and they're not going to do what the quarterback does best, right? That's normally the issue when it comes to quarterback play. Um, 
it just was never really a, a, a good jail, never fit, right? Um, it's a two-lane highway. I get that. But normally that is the issue, okay, um, when, when you're talking about big bust or people that struggle and where did that come from. I think it's the same when it comes to the NFL regarding the head coach and the front office because it's like you don't ever want your parents to decide your spouse. And so who's actually making all those decisions? within the office, because that makes a massive difference with the chemistry on the team and this and that. I, I'm not disagreeing with any of that, but I would question on both sides, okay, what is it about his career up to the point that the Cardinals hired him that told Arizona front office, hey, this is our guy. What had happened in that trajectory, in that timeline that said, oh, he was just in a – in an unwinnable situation. But when he gets here, it'll be way better. And then on the flip side, if you're Cliff Kingsbury and you know that that relationship is going to have certain restrictions and parameters that are going to limit your control Mm -hmm. of all the pieces of the chess match, what part of that said, okay, but I trust them enough. Like, I just feel like that's, that's a scapegoat in the sense of, you're either all in or you're all out. Well, I mean, it's not a scapegoat. If, if, if he can't make decisions, it's not, it's not that he's allowing them to make decisions or making those decisions because we're like, hey, we're in the front office. We're the GMs. Like, like we run the show on these certain decisions and not you. You know, like that's, that's right. my point. So, so is I'm that not, some, so I'm not saying is like the that's per, an excuse. Is your, is your assumption that that's something that's completely out of left field and was – because my assumption is, is like that's kind of how it's been. I don't think it was – Cliff that went out and like recruited JJ Watt. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's that one thing. I think it's an accumulation of things, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I do think that, um, especially going back to the whole Kyler Murray thing and with Cliff, I think it's, it's one of those things to where it's almost like the whole Dak Prescott thing where it's like, at the end of the day, I just want my money. Like, like, what did I do? What did I not do? Right, hundred percent. Right. If I'm Kyler Murray, that's the only thing I'm at. I don't, I'm not worried about anything else. No doubt. But on the flip side, I, let me rephrase that because that's contradictory. I would hope that that's what Kyler's Kyler Murray's approach is to this situation. But if it was me, I would be looking way more holistic because even on a rookie deal, he's Kyler Murray's fine. Mm. Whatever. He's going to be compensated. He's a multi-time pro bowler. Even if they don't pick up his option, somebody's going to pay him a lot of money. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if now we're contemplating or renegotiating anything, Mm -hmm. well, I want to dig deeper and I want answers. What are we going to do? Because I feel like that's what makes – that's one of the major criterion in separating good quarterbacks from great quarterbacks is – having the confidence, but also the depth of knowledge to be able to say, I don't, I'm not saying I want to make decisions, but I want to, I want my voice heard because it's, you know, my future captain of the ship and kind of comes back to your point is like the team goes as the quarterback goes. Right. Yep. And how much of that do you even worry about leveraging? No, yeah, it's a good question. Cause it is a very different situation in a sense than Dak. You know what I mean? Like you almost kind of naturally say Dak had more, um, superiority to be able to do that 100 and, and i'm not you know people can say well, well why and i'm not going to debate that you know what i mean but yeah but i'll go back to just for collar it's like you know, as long as it doesn't like trail out three or four months and 
become like a oh for sure it's not like a conflicting thing with training camp and become a distraction etc it's just one of those things where it's kind of like a shame it's like man because you know him well i say you know we assume that him and cliff or had a thing going on they were getting better they were getting slowly away from the air raid and incorporating some west coast stuff and getting better and then it's like what what's causing the issues i and that's the thing again caveat like I'm sure, and he's a great guy, and he is, and he absolutely is an offensive genius. But I just live in the camp of if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck, it's probably a duck, mm-hmm. right? You know, people can say what they want about Nick Saban in the NFL, but the guy had a winning record before he left Miami. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it's not. I don't think it's the college NFL thing. I think it's you got it or you don't got it thing. You know, and for whatever reason, you learn what you learn and you go through what you go through. But I, I'm just, I'm still, I will always be blown away at the fact that this man went five and seven with an NFL Super Bowl champion quarterback in the Big 12 and got a head coaching job. I mean, I will say that was a, not a very good defense either. Okay. <laughs> Whose fault is that? You're the head coach. It's a Big 12. Okay. <laughs> It was terrible defense. Right. But it was his defense because he's the head coach. Yeah, but I just, I just say. Yeah, but. Now we're going back to Big 12 SEC. It's a totally different level, it's, especially at that time. But I'm saying, my point is, is that, yeah, was was the overall level of defensive play in the Big 12 good at that time? No. There were two, maybe three Power 5 conferences that had a better overall per defensive performance on a regular basis. But that was still his defense because he was the head coach. You can't sit there and be like, well, we scored 60 points a game. Right. But you gave up 70 and you're the head coach. That's your loss. No, I would, I would totally agree so with that statement. So what are you doing at what, some point? Because it's not like they had one bad year. Mm-hmm. Historically, the defenses were bad in his, in his tenure in Lubbock. So what did you do from, from year to year – to self scout and say, I know we will make we will score points. Mm-hmm. What about our program tra- practice structure, recruiting, et cetera, et cetera, needs to change to be better at defense? Was their defense terrible this year? What was their, I mean, where were they ranked? Were, were they bad defensively? His last year in Lubbock? No, no, this year. Arizona's? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. Gotcha. I know that. I, I mean, I, I don't know in specifics. What I do know is that the offense was inconsistent at best. Well, yeah. Well, and especially if you're comparing it to what it was the last couple of years. Right. Because they, they did make some massive strides from going from like basic stick to, you know. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and doing some, the, and some, there was some other concepts. You, you saw implementation, creativity, and personnel yeah. and things of that nature. And I know that there are superstar players on, that de- on the defensive side of the ball there, but... Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, who's the captain of the ship, right? We want to say it's quarterback, but he might be when the offense is on the field, And the, but there's one guy that's supposed to fall on the sword for the whole team. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'll just always be blown away at how you fail up that fast. I, I agree. I'll finish saying this, though, too, because I, I can't let you say who's the captain of the ship because, again, he could be – sitting there in driver's ed school and he's in the passenger seat 
with the fake with, steering with the wheel. Fake steering wheel. <laughs> And he's actually not the you know the the captain. I don't know, but I'm just saying. Um, what does suck is you you can speculate all of those things, uh, whether it's him. Why is Mike McCarthy so good, and then so bad, so bad, and so good? Different teams with every single coach. Yeah, uh, and it's it's like man, how how deep is it in that front office, and what's going on, and how how much is it affecting? Um, we'll never never know, and it sucks. I definitely will never know you might know at some point you might get an inside scoop but i'm i'm blown away at some of the the ins and outs and potential like off the field in the office type of things that kind of especially now with all the allegations that have come out about like Mm -hmm. losing bonuses like being paid a bonus to lose etc etc yeah um, which yeah. not to dive deep to in too deep into that, but it's a deep rabbit hole. That's a really deep rabbit hole. But to stick like it's starting clinic time, starting to ramp up. Had AFCA DFW mm-hmm. clinic. Joey McGuire is about to speak at the West Texas clinic, keeping the Texas Tech theme going on. Oh, really? Um, Good for him. But I heard a question that um, was posed to some attendees, and I wanted to pick your brain about it because I think that there's. I think that every coach goes through a similar kind of progression or growth when it comes to like their clinic life or career. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's kind of, it may it may be more cyclical than like a progression. I think there's like the the like I want to know I want to know the ins and outs of this super difficult or successful concept. Mm-hmm. I want to know the ins and outs of like how you build your program. Yeah. Or I don't care. I've been going to too many of these, right? right. I think there's a cycle, and I think I think you re- everybody at some point, maybe for it, just a year, you reach that that last one just for a little bit because it ca- it can start to see seem repetitive. But like when you go listen to somebody talk, or you just go to you go visit a staff, right? It's not even at a clinic. You go talk yeah. to somebody. What are you asking them about? Are you asking concept or culture? Um. Well, the the general answer would be, or a question I would ask is, who is it? First off, okay, because that that, that, that would predicate a lot. It does matter, but I mean, excluding that, uh, if I had to choose one, I'd say concept. Now, that being said, I have seen in a lot of coaches, including myself, as you kind of go throughout those years, because let's let's all agree, your first couple years as a coach, like you're going to go to the PJ Fleck, row the boat, culture talk, and you're going to be hyped. You're going to write down like three pages of like, man, I'm a, we're going to stand up and we're going to have our players do this and that. And that's really good for you. Yeah, You definitely need it. Um, but at some point you're like, okay, I'm over that. Like not to sound like arrogant, but like I've seen it all already, right? I will say though, there's been times where I've fallen into a culture talk by accident or whatever. I'm like, dang, man, like I, I don't need to um, – just negate these, like, because that that's extra fuel the fire. You know, what I mean, sometimes it helps. But going back to it, I'm all that concept, a hundred percent. Yeah, I think that. I think you and I were similar in the sense that, like, when we first started going to those, like, well, I know my concepts, so let me just yeah. learn this culture stuff, right? And then, like, you realize, I don't know, yeah, diddly poo, right. and I need, you know, so you kind of revert back to let me go talk concept. Yes, but. Man, I think the hardest thing, because I remember that PJ Fleck talk, and, you know, it was super exciting, and everybody was like, ah, you know, yeah. and, like, Matt Rule, whether it be at the um, 
mm. uh, the clinic over in uh, Birdville or when we, he spoke at THSCA, it's like, dude, he, like he'll get you going. And like, yes. he, you know, he's a passionate guy and it, it comes out in his message and it comes mm -hmm. out in his players. And I'm all about that. But I think the hardest thing and like the homework aspect of like going and talking to guys or going to clinics is like, just like you said multiple times, it's like, who are you though? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like what, you're not PJ Fleck. Mm -hmm. So you running in there with an oar and being like, hey, we're going to row the boat. Like, okay, you're a That's copycat. Right. And guess who knows that? Any high school kid that watches yeah. college game day, mm -hmm. they saw the same segment yep. and they saw what he was able to do and how they committed to rowing the boat and yada, yada. So I try and like, I'm, I'm more at, I'm kind of in the cycle of like, I'm more culture because I want to hear how and like you said who is it that we're talking to who is right. it that's talking well i'm going to focus on the people who are talking about those those type of things those off the field things because i think that right now that those are the tools that i'm more focused on sharpening mm -hmm. those are the the aspects that i want to continue to learn and grow and and create my personality so it comes out because if, I mean, this is not a secret, but for the past, like, since I started coaching, if somebody was just like, all right, you run this trial run, you get two months to run this program, and if you do a good job, you'll get the head job. My off-season program would be me trying to be Kaz Kazadi. And then... I mean, it's not a bad guy. Right, but, I, but it's also not <laughs> no, me. It, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be regurgitating things that he says, and I'm right. going to be carrying myself in the way that he carries himself and yeah. the staff is going to be sprinting into the off-season workouts full speed blowing their whistle like crazy like that but that's his personality right right how much of that is going to be true and genuine to me versus me trying to be something else that's right good point. and so i kind of think of it as like you're not trying to you're not trying to listen to dissenting opinions or like the opposing view but you're trying to think of it as an opposing view. How would I do that? Right. Yeah. This is your thing, but how would I do that? How would I make it look like me? Yes. And yes. so that's really been my approach as of late is how do we take, you know, cause, um, just retired at Heath. Spradlin. Spradlin spoke at the DFW clinic and I immediately, he talked for longer than this, but I immediately heard one thing and I said, that's where I've fallen short and I know better. Mm. And his big thing was like when in the off season, not even in the off season, but in the weight room, like music, yes, no, whatever. I don't, I don't think that was his main point, but they, be they truly believe that like support and encouragement is a learned skill. Mm -hmm. Like your team needs to learn how to do that in the easiest way, the most consistent place for them to learn how to do that and to carry out that action with their teammates is in the weight room. Mm -hmm. And then the, the other side of it is not only are we going to be positive and encouraging to our teammates nonstop, but we're going to move at a ridiculous pace because we've deemed yeah. from an offensive standpoint that we're a fast paced, super high tempo team. Right. So if we're going to be that, we have to be that. Right. We have to lift that way. We have to train that way. We have to interact that way, not out of control, but as fast as you can staying in control. I've heard him say that before. Um, and it's interesting because it's, it comes back to the broad view of, um, I think that works. I mean, I think there's merit to what anybody does, but I think what makes those things work is not 
oh, hey, there's secret sauce as they're yelling in the weight room and encouraging each other. I think the secret sauce to those guys and those coaches is that they have a formula that they stick with 100%. And whether you know other people view it's right or wrong in their brain, this is my formula and this is what we're going to do. And they speak that every single day to where the kids, like, no matter what they're doing, they're becoming militant. And they're like, subconsciously learning how to do those things together, whether it's yelling and encourage each other, um, you know, stepping where they're supposed to step at the exact same time, whatever it is you're doing, they have a formula. And I think he's really good about making uh, the team believe like, hey, here's what we're going to do. If you have a, a PowerPoint per se, you know, before the year, here's right. what we're going to do. Here's what I believe. I've had success with it. Luckily, that always helps. Right, uh, for sure. You know, hey, check out this ring. <laughs> it works. Uh, and, uh, and it's going to make you great too. And it's easy to buy into that. Um, so, but I will, I will say this, so going back to culture talk, I think it's smart to, my advice to people would say, hey, go listen to people that is, you know, they're similar to you. If you have um, three people that are talking and you can only attend two and two of those are similar and one's different, go to one that's similar, one that's different. 100%. Because that's what, and that's kind of what I was leading to is that you've got to be able to, open and willingly hear who was it um it was somebody last weekend they were talking about or two weekends ago they were talking about tempo and it, it might have been matt nally i don't remember but they were talking about tempo and he said he was like everybody wants to talk about tempo and like these teams don't do that no it was um billy mathis at brock uh, okay gotcha. and he was like people want to talk about tempo and um you know, that doesn't just mean you go fast, like, oh, but Pleasant Grove, yada, yada. He said, bull crap. Pleasant Grove goes is a super tempo team. They're to their tempo. And you know who has to play to their tempo? Your defense. Correct. And the that's a it's almost a descending opinion from like what you and I might approach is, but if you're willing to listen to it, open to hear it, and then apply it, okay, how can we use this? Well, there's a way to there you know, there's a way to apply these differing points of views. And especially at the high school level, you've got to have a couple different plays when it comes to approaching an off season and approaching a team. Cause like we talked about, it's going to, it's going to be in an, in a growth or an evolution phase from year to year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You may, you may be McKinney high and bring back one of the strongest 2024 classes that the, anybody's ever seen in the history of the world right which you, is kind of true right but seriously you <laughs> yeah. may that may be you and so you know yeah. like i got this kid mm -hmm. for two more years and we can tailor to these we can tailor play calls and alignments to his skill and and this aspect and mm -hmm. this that and the other or you could be this line of bobcats and you could graduate 17 starters 16 starters mm. right mm. and the struggle is going to come in going to listen to that guy that sounds just like you or thinks just like you. Sure. And it says, this is what we do and we're great at it. And we make it work. Yep. And you go, okay, well, I'm going to go do what we've been doing. Cause it's the same thing that that guy just said. And he got to talk at a clinic and right. you just lost 47 players that have played, you know, have started, you know, umpteen different games. Yeah. So it, going and listening to other people is only going to prepare you for the curveball that you've never seen. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I've seen a lot more people too, just kind of going on a tangent of um, not uh, culture, not concept, program structure. You know, and I, I've gotten into the point where 
I've thought that's just extremely interesting. Like, how do you structure your program? Like, hey, we walk through here. On Sundays, we do this in season. Um, I'm seeing more of that now than I ever have in the past. And maybe I'm saying that it's like whenever you are looking to buy this specific car, and then all of a sudden you freaking see it everywhere. Right. (laughs) And so I think it's where you at in your life specifically, too. Are you uh, trying to become a head coach? you are probably going to start transitioning your mindset to like, ooh, culture. What culture am I going to have? And you'll start going to more of those culture talks. Or you're a young cat and you're like, man, I want to learn football. Probably all the concepts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of a combination of where are you at um, and what are you trying to uh, become better at for in the future, but also uh, where are you at now with your team and what can you bring back to your team that's going to better them right now and what's going to better yourself in the future as a coach. Yeah, and I mean, there's going to be. I think the, I think the hard balance to, to walk is like, clinics are so great and they're so valuable. Mm-hmm. But, I think something that's equally as valuable and undervalued at the same time, like it's something that's not taken advantage of by a lot of people, is picking a school, high school or college. And saying, I'm just going to go sit down and talk to those people. Yeah. Because. It's a big deal. It's a huge. If if you look at them and whether they, they're exactly who you want to be mm-hmm. or they're the farthest thing from it, yep. you're going to take, you're going to get exposed to more in-depth truth yes. in those conversations than you are sitting in the third row of a 50-minute lecture about you know, bare fronts. Yeah. Yeah. That a guy's prepared for saying the whole time, what I want to show, what I not want to show. Exactly. So perfect world. I would say, um, it'd be nice if you could have anybody that ever spoke, um, regarding concepts like, Hey, you're only invited to speak if you have the worst players ever and you've had incredible success. Facts. There should be a sliding scale. Yeah. Cause do I just, and again, I mean, if somebody was to ask me to come speak uh, next year and let's say our running back Brian Jackson went off and, you know, hey, what is this incredible play? Give the ball to Brian. I, I could try for 10 minutes and say, you know, well, it's a, it's just, it's a brand new fancy way that I schemed up inside zone. Nobody's ever done it. And then it always come back to, well, that guy's kind of good. Yeah. And he's the one that kind of made it work. So it's I want to hear more people that have those average players they're making them great consistently, like like against pretty good teams too. Okay, so this is something that's been coming up more and more probably this offseason than I've seen before. Um, Coach Mackey, who's got a pretty big following on YouTube mm-hmm. and, and whatnot, he's a firm believer that you – that like big play offenses come from cats and I'm all about Johnny's over Joe's Johnny's and Joe's over X's and O's. Like I'm all about that. But if you like, if you, if you relied on big explosive plays and you returned a lot of starters this past season and now all those guys are gone, do you think that you can speak big play players into existence that you can manifest that through body language, conversation, encouragement at all? Or do you think it's you either got them or you don't? I mean, I would definitely say it's not you either got them or you don't, for sure. I mean, 
Talk about the high school level. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, because obviously that's going to have more of an argument and value as you get up. Right. Uh, cats are cats. Um, but yeah, I would say, uh, well, I'll give you an example. We got a starting, it's going to be a three-year starting receiver now at our uh, right outside receiver position. Kind of a swing guy, but he's been, regardless, he's going to be a three-year starter. He does everything right. He's basically uh, Ryan Tannehill whenever Gerard Johnson was playing quarterback. Right. Okay. And Ryan was like, yeah, I'll play receiver. So he's a quarterback that's playing receiver. Um, does everything right, and he's tough. And so we have a young cat that – he's a cat. He's a dude. Yeah, he, he's a dude. Um, and my brain was like, well, how can we, whenever Ryan Tannehill graduates, how can we get him to be that explosive guy, like, immediately? You know, because regardless, even if he's a cat, you're playing against Allen, Denton Geyer, you know, for him to be a sophomore or even a junior at that level and to be expected to do, you know, fill the same role, I mean, you're going to be let down every single time. And so it's like, well, he's more comfortable at the left outside, this young cat is. He's more comfortable at the left outside. But if we put him on the right outside and he can literally watch every rep from this Ryan Tannehill kid, is that going to now subconsciously teach him all the small tools? Because he already has some of that cat in him. Mm-hmm. And so now you're just building everything else on top of it. In my brain, that kind of helps it speed up that process. Right. To where, you know, you don't have a gap in all those explosive plays, if that makes sense at all. Yeah. Um, I think if you're looking far enough ahead and you're putting kids in each position as a two or a three uh, that you know are going to be in that position eventually and they can see it, it helps that process. So is that more valuable than just flat out exper- game experience? Is what more valuable? So, so let's, I'll try and speak your, your, your old language. So you got a guy that like Z is your dude, like whatever you're going to put your dude at Z, Mm -hmm. but you got a guy who's got that ceiling, but he's young. You're saying it's more valuable, valuable to make him the second Z than the starting X. No, 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 no. No, okay. Now we're diving That's, into depth charts. No, yeah. no, because if you, I mean, if you ain't got a an X, well, it don't then, matter. Hey, hey, young cat, you got to <laughs> okay. go over there. No, okay. Doubt. I just wanted because yeah. I just wanted to make sure that's not. I didn't yeah. want it to be interpreted that way. No, yeah, no, good call. Yeah, definitely not saying that. Because um, I think you know we've gotten to the point where I'm at now where we actually have some depth, and we right. talked about last time to where yeah. it's like we can truly look at the depth chart, um, you know, as a puzzle piece and say, okay. Um, Everybody wants to graduate next year, and these are the you know benefits and you know out of six A. But yeah. it's like oh. we can kind of look and say, okay, all these guys that are graduating next year, oh perfect, we have basically four juniors that are going to replace them. Beautiful. What about below them? Perfect. We got three sophomores. Let's go ahead and try to get that fourth one. If you know, figure right. it out Just, that way. There's not a gap. And and now, in my opinion, that's how you have a great JV. Now, now you right. have those JVs that are killing everybody it's like mm-hmm. oh my gosh well what's our varsity gonna look like yeah well good luck yeah it's different now instead of like man we gotta pull him up because he's gonna be the backup he's a sophomore and now you have a terrible that's a center a terrible center on jv who's getting your quarterback killed who could be great and it's just constant mix and match and you're never on the same page yeah that's a luxury that you know i have not yet been afforded so um must be nice I mean, but don't act like you're also nice not at play, Salina. I mean, Salina's got some depth. It must be nice to plan for your problems before you have them. Yeah, but Salina's got pretty good depth compared to most other programs in your in your caliber. In your I league. mean, 
You can't say no. I'm like, not. Like people people that don't even live in Texas are like, why well, no, Salina? I didn't they say no. They don't know who other, I any other school hardly is. South Lake Carroll, Duncanville. No. What I'm looking at is like, who did we lose to this year? Gilmer. Okay, let's reflect on what Gilmer has had since I've been at Salina and before. Well, well yeah. they've had a good quarterback. They've had a Fluellen at receiver for like 18 years. They've had a big running back or three that they rotate and they all rush for like 80 yards a game. And, you know, none of them rush for a thousand yards, but they run the ball for 3,500 a year. Mm. Right. So that's what I'm thinking of is like, sure, when you count all whatever, like, right. Any, all th- 400 teams that are 4A and below, sure, we're not in the worst place possible. Sure. But, you know, with situations come expectations, right? right. So you you vi- you visualize and address those situations based off of those expectations. And, yeah. you know, this was a senior-laden year, and, you know, that's scary. Mm-hmm. It, but it, it, it's, is. it is what it is, and we'll, we'll address the issue and we'll solve it. And just like with every Salina team that's kind of come out of a senior-laden year, Guys come out of nowhere and step up and prove that they can do more than you expected. And guys fill roles that, you know, you were hopeful, but they end up kind of surpassing those expectations. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part that I really I wanted to kind of pull from you is I'm a I've become more and more of a believer of just speaking it into existence. I agree. Hey, yeah, you're 5'10 and you have a 31 inch vertical and you're not going to grow any taller because your dad's 5'10 and your mm-hmm. mom's 5'5 five five and that's who you are. Yep. But you know what you can do is you can work really, really hard at track and I can tell you every day how you're going to win every jump ball, mm-hmm. no matter what. And you're going to be the most open kid. And I can tell you that every single day. Yep. And I truly 1000% believe that it's not the only factor, but it's a big factor. I agree. I think I think that is one thing that you could apply to any team and it'll make everybody better, no matter the caliber that you have. Like you can't apply that to any team and they get worse. True. You know what I mean? And so I think that that is a great equalizer. That's a secret sauce that you could put on a very average team and make them think that they are way better than what they truly are. uh, And that'll get them further than what they probably thought they could. Um, And so. So what you're saying is the real value in all clinic, just don't ever go to another clinic as long as you're positive, positively reaffirming your athletes. Nothing else matters. I think you know the answer to that one. <laughs> I'm just I don't kidding. know why you even ask that. You tell me the answer to that one. <laughs> Absolutely not. Right. Absolutely not. But in all seriousness, I think that that's a lost art. But it's a hard thing to perfect because like we've said more than once, it has to be genuine. It has to be believable. Mm-hmm. You can't just look at a kid that if your guy, if your team's running gassers or half yeah. gassers, and you can't just look at a kid that's in last and be like, "That a boy, way to go!" Right. And it and it make him one percent better. Right. 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 And I'm. This is probably one of my many shortcomings, but I'm very aware of the fact that my positive affirmation of kids, especially in the off season parallels with what I perceive their work ethic to be. And that doesn't mean that like, oh, this kid, you know, he just crushed 225 on bench 12 times. So like, I'm going to go hype him up and tell him, like if that kid's killing himself in the weight room, just giving every workout, every track workout, every lift, everything he has, 
I'm going to hype that kid up to with whatever piece I think is kind of one step up of what he views his role as. Yeah, you got really good emotional intelligence. And, and knowing, like, you know, whenever that kid did something that was the expectation versus, like, man, like he actually didn't get it done, but he is doing everything he can, and I need to go and praise him right now. I'm also really bad about if I have any type of perception yeah. that you're purposely holding just at or below that level. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be just not nice. Yeah. I agree. Um, there is one thing before I move on to another topic that I know you want to talk about, and this literally has nothing to do with a clinic at all. <laughs> but you, you, you were bringing up talent, and it made me think about something I was talking about the other day. Um with my head coach and it's a mistake that I saw being made and that I allowed to continue to be made. So if you're a coach, hopefully you've had, you've been lucky enough. I know you have a few times to have that player that is like so special. He's going to play at the next level. Uh, maybe even not on Sunday. Right. But he is, he is a freak. Right. Um, better, maybe a once in a generation type of guy. Okay. Chase Griffin. Facts. Okay. Okay. So Chase Griffin. It is extremely easy to coach a Chase Griffin for three years and never look down the depth chart ever. And what's even harder, okay, and this is just advice to coaches, okay? Don't make the same, <laughs> don't make the same mistake I did. It is even harder to have a backup uh, or a starting sophomore starting freshman quarterback, everybody that's in your room, if they are average, to look at them as if they are even worse because of who you do have a quarterback. And you naturally don't coach them as hard because of who your starting quarterback is. You want to yeah. put so much more time into that person. Yeah. When that person leaves... You're up the creek. <laughs> what's going on now? Like, oh, crap, I'm back to like a regular human being now. What do I do? But it's so easy to get those blinders on and like, man, this is what I'm used to. This is what I'm used to. But you guys can't do this. I'm not going to deal with it right now. So my point is when you have those cats, you better freaking develop the next dude. Better find them. And it sounds like common sense, but wait till you have one of those dudes. You want to put everything you got into that dude because you know, and selfishly, like you're not going to get those a lot. No. But easier said sometimes, than done. Sometimes a kid walks in to play quarterback and he's 14 years old and he can throw like a 6 yard spiral and you're like okay cool well we're going to be a deep shot team right and then for the next three and a half years you just operate under the assumption that like okay well yeah. that's who we are yes and then one day you're not that's whether he stubs his toe walking down the stairs or he graduates what do you do and I think that that's where I, I mean, I've caught myself in, in shortcomings and and kind of putting myself in a bad situation because you come off of, you know, that guy that could kind of do it all. He could run the show. He could he could solve problems. If you yep. put him in, you make a bad play call, he mm -hmm. does something else, and you look yep. like a genius. Yep. Absolutely. And I think that the – and I've had these conversations with guys when they were current players that are now former players mm – -hmm openly telling them, you know, and this was after the mistake was made and then kind of realized that I was doing that. But I told the kid, I said, look, there's going to be moments where I absolutely lose it on you. And I freak out and I make a mountain out of a molehill. 
And you're just going to have to deal with it because I know that subconsciously the perception is you can do whatever you want and I'm not going to say anything. Mm. And what that also is going to manifest into is I'm going to ignore you for a period and I'm going to really coach this kid hard because Mm -hmm. he's got to build the confidence and and the belief that he can do these things and, and it can't just look like you. Because yeah. there was a year I made a really bad mistake of trying to take a 6'2", 185-pound quarterback and a 5'10", 175-pound quarterback and say, okay, you two are going to play the position the exact same way. And guess <laughs> what? They don't. Yep. One of them is very rhythmic, and he has to have that fluid movement when he throws a ball, mm-hmm. and the other one is a brute force, yep. throw the ball through your face. Right? Two different playbooks. Two completely different playbooks. Yep. And – I think it's like you said. It's it's really easy to be like, yes, we got this guy. He's, you know, he's about to start his junior year. I know exactly what he can do. I know what his niche is. We're gonna have him for a minimum of twenty games, if not thirty-two. You know, so piss on everybody else. Yeah, I'm not gonna worry about (laughs) you know. You're the deep shot guy, right? So you're gonna be the deep shot guy, and nobody else is gonna do that. Right. Well, that's great on Fridays, and it's terrible Monday through Thursday. I guarantee you every coach has had this situation like multiple times, okay? And this happens almost every year. Too. So maybe I, maybe I'm a terrible coach. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I can get better at this. But maybe I'm talking to myself here. But they've had a situation where let's say you got a great Chase Griffin quarterback, seven on seven, and you've already put in the depth chart. Oh yeah, we're gonna go five, three, two as far as our reps. Perfect. Everybody's gonna get X amount of reps in the spring ball. Beautiful. We're good. Okay, so your ones go, perfect. Your twos are up, and you're like, oh, my God. It looks terrible compared to the ones. Your threes go up, and they get one play. Get out, Chase, get in. Yeah. Get in. Solve this problem. Yeah, and then they're, now you just started your lack of development. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm, I'm the, one of the worst at it, but I think more coaches uh, don't notice that they're doing that, um, and it can, it's a major detriment. But how do you – here's the thing that, like, this is where I I started feeling almost guilty about is um, not midseason, but towards towards the second half of the season, district's trying to wind up. We're about to get into the playoffs. And I'm going back and forth because I want to ask the questions of projection, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but at the same time, like, hey, we're in a really good situation. Why don't you focus on the now instead of looking down the road, right? Like, mm. you know, one in the hand versus two in the bush type yeah. thing. And I think that you've got to be willing and able to have those uncomfortable conversations where it's like, okay, I'm not looking past, right? But we're going to take a 10-minute duality where we consider both and plan accordingly. Because mm-hmm. if you get three rounds deep into the playoffs – that's three extra weeks that you have to try and counteract the exact situation you're describing, right. whether it comes in a controlled scrimmage mm-hmm. or sprinkling in really young guys into your threes, Yes, all yeah. of those things. But I, the first time I did it at practice, I was like, what am I doing? Like, we're good. Right. But you've, I just, I think you have to be willing and able to do that because if you don't, it's like you said, it just you're not you're just kicking the can down the road. It's well, just yeah. a problem for another day and one day it's going to be that day. That's that's a really good point because you could say and and again, I'm more of an advocate of, you know, ensuring and sticking to the formula of those guys getting those reps, you know, those guys like the 
twos, threes, and fours, getting their reps in the spring because you can guarantee it that you just got to stick to your plan. But to your point, and it's a great point, when you're looking into the future and you're in the playoffs, one of the worst things you can have is, let's say you go two rounds deep, you take an L. I mean, you're obviously not going to like after that game – Man, but we developed a hell of a backup these right. last two weeks. <laughs> yeah. So like, no, what if you would have developed that starter a little more? You probably would have beat them. And so that's where that balance is at. Yeah, and that's where the, the conversation can start to get uncomfortable. Right. But one of the things that we did, we did when I was at Baylor, and we do a, a high school variation of it now, is we had the Bear Bowl during like bowl game, you know. Mm-hmm. We make a bowl game, and then it was that, that dead time between – uh, the last game in the bowl game, which was like three weeks of practice, every Thursday was a bear bowl. Mm. Red shirts and non-travel. There we go. You're, I mean, and it's a full-on live scrimmage. Yeah, everybody's position, Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's the best thing ever. The position coaches are calling the plays, like kind of that, and you're playing. The only person, like sometimes a quarterback would be live, depending on who it was. <laughs> and like we do a sub-varsity version of that with our freshmen. So the freshmen are playing, they're playing a controlled scrimmage once a week for however many weeks you keep going. Yep. And that's, you know, we did the math. If you make if you make it to the state championship game, your sub-varsities are getting like an entire extra two-a-days. Yes, yeah, that's a great so point. Yep. if you can tailor it right without losing focus on your, on your dudes, but if you can tailor some of the practice structure right, you, taking advantage of those, you know, 24 extra practices yeah. is – invaluable.